quite often when I look for photographers or, or any kind of creative for the podcast that I look for a lot of images uh, that really stand out to me. I'm very OCD about consistency of style and uh, things like that. It, it means that I have to really vet through people's portfolios. Not like I have any any authority in what is good and bad, but just for myself and to tick my own probably mental issues that I have with OCD. <laughs> I have to find work that ticks boxes on a lot of images. I don't like portfolios that look like iPod shuffles, kind of just, you know, this image, that image, nothing, nothing really lines up. But with your work, there was a slight difference. I was straight in on board from the moment I saw that you had photographed Jeff Goldblum. That was it. That was it for me. Once I'd seen Jeff Goldblum, I was in. He's that kind of guy for me. Uh, that kind of that kind of actor, just instantly likable, wonderful guy. Before we talk about all of the wonderful work that you've done, let's start off with why you picked up a camera in the first place. So, why do you now call yourself a photographer? Oh wow! Yeah, uh, lack of other things to call myself, I guess. No, um, I uh, I got into it in high school, just in art class, and uh, it's one of the things that I just naturally kind of did well, I think. Uh, so I kind of visually, I think I understood something anyways. Uh, and I just, you know, just kept going with that. I mean, I usually, this is kind of a theme in my life. I kind of find something that works and I just go with that. Uh, it's not always a good idea. Sometimes you can take your career in a place where you don't necessarily want it to go, but, uh, no, and it was, uh, starting off in high school and it was actually, uh, a guidance, a guidance counselor in, in that same school who recommended I try uh, photojournalism when I go to college uh, because I was also a good writer. And I just, you know, gave it a try. And, and somewhere in my third year of school, I managed to, to get a job at the local newspaper in a small town in Indiana. And uh, just you know, kind of worked and kind of learned on the job and just kept at it. It was obviously a lot of fun for me. And a uh, great way to, I'm pretty much an introvert. So this kind of um, forces me out of my, my normal habits of, you know, <laughs> not talking to people or going outside. Uh, and it forces me to, to, to engage. And it's just a lot more, it's just, uh, I kinda, in a way, it can open up my life for me. Just that kind of engage, engage with people. And then I took it much more seriously than... Uh, and I think uh, so my, uh, I don't want to talk bad about anyone, but uh, you know, <laughs> once I got going, I really wanted to learn kind of everything I could in, in it. And, uh, you know, well, at least now with, as a, as a working professional, like, I, I don't want, I never want to be the one in the room who doesn't know what something does, you know? So if there's a problem, if my assistant can't solve it, I want to have the knowledge to solve it. So I, I kind of get way too in depth with all that stuff. It doesn't mean I can Photoshop as well as your touchers I use, but <laughs> I'm learning. Well, I imagine the last 12 months hasn't been fun for you then if you're, if you're introverted and now people like me can basically find our way into your homes to do podcasts. That's going to be quite frustrating. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm, I'm really not. I mean, I, I like being around people. It's, it's for me, it's more the leaving the house, just getting through that, that little moment, like, and when I get a job, when I'm on set, if I'm doing something, I know what I'm, uh, I, I'm all in. Like I do, I'm not nervous at all because I know what I'm doing, but like driving to the job, that's very stressful for me. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't maybe that's just a New York thing. Having seen New York traffic, it's one of the two places in the world I outright refuse to ever drive in. So I completely understand that. Um, you mentioned photojournalism and I feel like photojournalism is a wonderful kind of basis to to go into almost any kind of photography because it gives you so many skills in terms of like showcasing narrative building the story you, you it builds your eye better than anything else i can possibly imagine which i think is a particular problem for men over women it seems like women have a fantastic eye straight off the bat men seem to have to learn that skill um how much does your past in photojournalism inform your current work uh i'd say a lot i mean um for one thing, it's as a job, it's, it's a grind, it's a, especially if you're working daily newspapers. It's just a lot of work all the time. And uh, this is back in the film days, so you'd have to, if you made a mistake, you, you were really going to pay for it in the darkroom. 
Um, but and you know, like you say, like a lot of different things, portraits, doing stories, sports, all sorts of things I hadn't done before. Like I, I got out of I was in school in school, so I'd done a lot of it, but still when I first first started that newspaper job, every one of the photographers, like I think it was eight of them all together, showed me how to develop film in their own way. Not that I didn't know how to do it, but it's like they, they wanted to show me just in case I didn't. Um so that was, you know, so it's just a quick learning curve where you make some mistakes and then you, you're on the job the next day and you got to do it again. So that's just, just like a touring musician, you know, you just, you just keep grinding it out. So eventually you kind of know a lot of it. Uh, and also it gives you so much to, to try that you can, like, I, I realized I love portraiture more than anything. Uh, I didn't know that before. I mean, I, had you looked at my student work, you could have guessed it, but, um, I didn't know at the time. Uh, so just more of that. And I just kind of slowly gravitated to that. And when I, when I left the newspaper, I decided that was, that was the direction I wanted to go in. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I think anyone should do Our news is very important. First off, I, I think that this, all these dying newspapers, are, it's not going to be good for us, especially in America when this news is, is so subjective these days. People don't understand how to read the newspaper anymore. Well, I, I do have a rule when we come to America, which is that we don't have the news on the TV news because it's it doesn't matter which way you lean politically, it's going to make you want to tear your hair out yeah. one way or the other. So I tend to not I tend to have a rule that my wife can't put it on when we're over there. There are good news sources and good news channels, but there's some that are very you know straight up propaganda. Just right. like they, they took the tabloids off the shelf and put it on the screen, and and now you got trouble. But, uh, that's neither here here nor there for portraiture. Well, why was it that you you said that you gravitated towards portraiture? But what is it particularly about portraiture that speaks to you so much? Is it the process? Is it the end product? What is it? Uh, the process. I really enjoyed learning people's stories and trying to um, trying to distill that into an image that kind of makes sense. So when you look at the portrait of them, you get some sense of who they are as a person. Uh, Obviously, later on, when I start, you start adding lights and other things. Like now, when I take a portrait, it's it's not entirely journalistic at all. It's a lot of you know, I have a lot more input in what they look like or can tease out uh, with you know with color and location and lighting and other tricks. But back then, it was more about like learning about other people, which is you know great fun, especially when you're introverted you don't necessarily want to talk about yourself but you're happy to help other people tell their story because you you know have the ability to listen uh which a lot of people don't don't have but uh, yeah i slowly learned how to do that and how to tease out other people's stories and make a you know compelling portrait of them and then when i started doing more magazine stuff it became more uh you know a glamorized version of that which is which is also fun slowly slowly taking a little bit more control of the uh the end end image uh, how so like so is it that you've got to I, I don't know how how do you how do you go about kind of glamorizing the portrait well it's just like um for example in journalism there's some people out there who wouldn't even put a wide angle on their on a camera because it's going to distort the distort the image and just you know thereby distort your reality and, and it wouldn't be so pure i had a friend who wouldn't put any kind of filter on their camera because you know, that's just a distortion, but I, I always thought of, of more of a correction. But um, but now, you know, if you're taking a portrait of somebody and then you bring in lighting and you make the lighting dramatic, that changes how you view that person. And then you, whatever you're using, whatever color palette you're using, that changes how the people view them. And if you're using any kind of color grading, that further takes that. So you can like, there's a lot of, a lot of input that's maybe not so obvious that the viewers is is cued into before they before they even start looking at the person, right? You know what I mean, like um, or you know, building drama in the scene or whatever it is, smoke machine or things like that. But I don't necessarily use those to really kind of mask mask the person. This, but I feel you know, like it's just make a little more creative per, uh, portrait of somebody who. Maybe this is their style. Like I was photographing a friend of mine out uh, of this old, I won't call it abandoned, this old airfield in New York City <clears throat> uh, yesterday. 
and she's a singer songwriter, but I put her with some, you know, some heavy sky and some sharp lighting and it's, you know, it looks like her, but it's much more like kind of, you know, a, a her that would be on an album cover or something like that. So right. that's, I'm just, I'm, I mean this by, by a way, walking away from straight up journalism stuff. I mean, one thing I would ask given, and, and this is, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I do tend to use the podcast mostly just for me to learn. And then there seems to be some listeners, which is, which is a side <laughs> effect more than the, 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 the main purpose it feels like, but. You play the Watson character for, uh, for the viewers at home and kind of ask all the questions. And- I like to play the idiot and I'm, I'm very much cast typed. <laughs> so, so I'm someone that really likes to photograph people. You photograph people from all walks of life people that are used to being photographed, people that don't like being photographed, people that it's yeah. their, their job to be in front of a camera, people that you might have been the only person to photograph them in months, maybe years, all different situations going on. How do you deal with the, the changes in personality? Because with photography, it feels like if you're a landscape photographer or if you're an architecture photographer or pretty much any other kind of photographer, the most important part is the way that you use the camera. Whereas when you're photographing people, it feels more about how you as a person work with the person in front of you, that gets you the most out of it. So what, what are some of the things you've learned about dealing with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I tend to treat everyone the same. You know, I, I go in and I, uh, ask a lot of questions. I do a lot of listening and I, you know, try to get to know them a little bit and explain the process to them because you're right. A lot of people, I mean, most people don't, don't really like having a picture taken. I feel like a dentist half the time. You know, people come in, <laughs> come in really scared, and, you know, and that goes for the, a lot of the Hollywood that you see in my, in my portfolio and website, all those actors, they, when they're out of character, when they're not doing a movie, they really dislike having their photo taken. So the same thing with them. Um, um, Paul Giamatti, is it Paul Giamatti? I'm losing. You got some Sopranos, help me out. Yeah. Yeah, Paul Giamatti. He like he was visibly sweating. I could see the sweat popping off. He just hated it. And under his breath, he kept he kept whispering, "I fucking hate this. I fucking hate this." And I, you know, <laughs> and in that case, I would try to give people like a little scenario to play out. You know, a lot of a lot of times, like with him, I did I had very little time, so I was just, just trying my best to make him feel okay. Um, but you know, for some people who really dislike it, I, I try to get them outside themselves a little bit to kind of pretend they're this or pretend they're that and, you know, a little, a little scenario they can play out or try to get them thinking of something else. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hugging and crying going on sometimes. Some people love it and then you can, you know, really talk them through it. But, uh, yeah, it is, it just, it's, it's, there's a huge percentage of, of it that is just your, your approach with the person and what, you know, how comfortable you can make them and that they'll give you something useful. Useful. You mentioned in the beginning the, the photo of, of um, um, Jeff Bridges. And that was, that was, we barely said anything. He, I, I took three, three pictures of him that day. He came in and he gave me his, his best Jeff Bridges. <laughs> and it was just wonderful. But I was just on the equipment side. I was just ready for it. So when he walked in, I knew there wasn't going to be much time. And I was right. <laughs> and I, you know, I had it already. So he just gave me that look and that was it. The one picture was, was gold. Um, so it's a bit of both. I mean, you, you gotta be ready when some, some people are just going to fight you the whole way through and you just have to have everything on board. So if, if you do get a moment in between the scowls. <laughs> okay. So for people that, that have never, people like myself, people that have never photographed, you know, big personalities, celebrities, actors, performers. Um, and like you just mentioned, with it seems like from everyone I've spoken to, always seems to be with a lot of time constraints, I guess, because these, these guys have always got somewhere to be or something to do, or, you know, they're, they're trying to get away from press as quickly as possible. Yeah. If you could just kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and explain how the process comes about of you photographing um, someone like, so my absolute favorite image of yours, if I'm honest, the, the image that I think is just stunning is, is Tommy Lee Jones, but how the process comes about of you photographing someone like a Tommy Lee Jones or a Bill Murray or a Willem Dafoe or whoever, you know, I'm assuming you're getting there, you're setting up lights and then it's just a waiting game until it's your moment and you have to work very quickly. 
Exactly. Yeah. You just rattled off three of the more difficult people. <laughs> Very nice people, but like they, you know, Tommy Lee Jones did not, he doesn't suffer fools too, too badly. That He was at, at a film festival and I had my studio, it was in the Sundance at the, in the Park City, Utah. So we're up at the base of a ski mountain and uh, we're, I'm basically set up in a, in a giant bubble of it. It's like a tent thing that, that leaked snow at night. So I'd come in and there'd be like snow on my equipment, <laughs> but he came in, uh, with, the, with the, with the cast and it was, uh, he gave me a, a bit of time. I took one, I did a test photo while he was adjusting his hair and it's fantastic. His, hair, his hands are up in the air and he's looking at me like he, he wants to kill me and I'm sure he could kill me. But once, you know, somebody like that, there's not much time to really kind of set a scenario other than, you know, just, just the way you welcome them into the studio and be respectful without being overly obnoxious about how talented they are. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. Anyways, it depends on the job. Like some of those, some of those were for magazines. So I have like maybe a half an hour with the people where you write, I go in two hours before I set up the lights, have a couple different scenarios, uh, you know, usually within the same room, within walking distance, two, uh, two or three different light setups or maybe the same area with uh, two different light setups on a pocket wizard where you can do different channels. Yep. And so I can book the channel and I get something different. Um, and then just, you're right, just sit around and wait. And you, usually as you're waiting, there'll be like, you know, you and your assistant, maybe if you're, you have an assistant and then suddenly the room will fill up full of s- small people staring at their phones. And that, that's <laughs> how you know somebody's coming. It's like this, it's like when the big wave comes in, the little waves kind of show up and those, those people are, you know, they, they would show up. And uh, it depends on how big the person is. Sometimes, you know, we'd be in a giant room and the room would just fill up with these people. Like, who are all these people? And that that certainly doesn't help with any of them there. Like I said, I hate, I hate the waiting. It's when, they, when they're there. That's wonderful. When <laughs> but like watching them slowly come in, that's, that would make me really nervous. But uh, yeah, then once they show up, just, just you know, it's just you and me. And we're going to, you know, generally they're professional as well. They want to, get a nice image of them or at least, you know, have one of the people is going to come back and check, check your images and make you delete whatever, whatever they don't like. Right. So there's, there's a bit of a safety in that for them. Although the trick is if you use capture one, you throw in the trash and it looks like it's deleted. That's not really deleted. <laughs> but uh, what was, I forgot what was, what was, what was it? I was going to say Bill Murray came in. He, he, uh, he was a funny guy, but he was, he was in a bad mood. I think I'm, I'm not sure what happened. But luckily, we're both Chicago Bears fans. So he came in the studio and he's he was giving me a, couple, a bunch of like dead eye stares, and, and I got him talking about Chicago Bears and you know joking around with him, and he finally opened up into just a hint of a smile for a few of those. But uh, you know, sometimes it, it is it's a bit of a you know he's got a also in the studio I jump around like a monkey and, and make a fool of myself if I need to. You know, he's running around circles around him and stuff like that. Right. It's, it's, if that's what it takes, you know. A lot of those jobs, you, you know, some of those like the film festivals, those are for Getty Images, so, you know, stock or wire service, and they had their images they wanted to get. You know, I don't know, if they, like smile, serious, you know, full body, nothing too exciting. But then I would have the the pocket wizard on different, you know, switch to a different channel, and it'd be more interesting lighting. Those maybe more severe, and then I could jump around and do something that, you know, for my portfolio. And uh, sometimes they would care, like. Uh, Ethan Hawk was very nice. A few times I, was, I said, I need you in my portfolio, man. Can you help me out? And then he would give me extra time and, you know, do something fun. Right. So, so you never know. And it's, you know, a lot of, a lot of times they're, they've, they've had a rough day. So I, I never complained that somebody wasn't, wasn't pleasant or gave me, uh, what they, you know, gave me less than they should have, but I, I can see both ways. I remember the first, one of the first things that really big people I did was Charlize Theron and she came in she was on her phone. She was having a bad day. Yelling at somebody on the phone was yelling back, I think. Although I wouldn't yell at her. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I was really nervous. We were in this hotel room in Toronto and and she came in and she was walking back and forth. And and then when it was picture time, she put the phone away and she looked at me 
or the camera and just lit up into that, that you know, the beautiful look that she has. And after that, I was like, why am I getting so nervous? They don't even, they don't even know I'm there. You know what I mean? Right. So I kind of, I just flushed away all that nervousness and said, like, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to, I'm not going to be uh, shocked by the celebrity. I'm just going to just treat them like everyone else, which, you know, I'm generally a kind person. But I, I really only get excited by the people who play like detectives on English TV. Those are the ones that are really going to be going. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I've, recently discovered the joys of Coen Brothers films over and over again and uh, No Country for Old Men and Tommy Lee Jones, one of my all-time favourites. So yeah, when I saw your image of him, it almost feels like it was purpose-built for like the, the build-up for that movie. Right. You, one thing you're kind of going down the line of there when it comes to working with people of different personalities, and it's something that I've heard from all sorts of photographers. If I first heard it from my sort of, I'm a wedding photographer and my hero is a wedding photographer. He brought it up uh, in conversation. I've heard it from people that have photographed British royalty, people that have photographed, you know, Donald Trump, and and uh, you know, from from the top to the bottom to the left to the right, they photographed all different people. This same sort of idea comes up, which is matching energy, and it's um, about like not not being too upbeat around someone that seems irritable, or not being irritable around someone that seems too upbeat, and you've got to kind of try and let them dictate where you're going to be which when I first started felt really counterintuitive because I thought everyone goes in and they're super positive, super excited, super, you know, California smile, all of that. And then everyone will be like, oh, this guy's a positive guy, so we'll be positive around him. And it actually doesn't work that way at all. Human beings are much more complex than that. So is it the case that when someone comes in, you kind of read the room and then you work from there? Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm definitely, I think I'm fairly good at reading people. I've been told that. Well, but yeah, I can't do the California thing. I'm I'm from Indiana, and I worked for ten years in Czech Republic and Prague and London. So yeah, my uh, my uh, more subdued thing is what you're gonna get. I mean, I do get excited, but um, yeah, I definitely don't I don't oversell it when they come in. You know, just it's you know nice to meet you. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm that whatever. Right. And uh, you know, obviously being starstruck is not gonna help anything. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, speaking of that, a friend, this friend of mine, a uh, slightly older guy, I used to work with in Prague. He worked at the Czech L, Mag- L magazine there. And the creative director was Robert Bono. Really interesting guy. But he, um, one time he was saying that he had some some big celebrity come in and they were really super shy, like in real life. And so he just put on this super shy act where he was kind of like his assistant welcomed the woman in and Robert kind of squeaked by without saying hi and kept squeaking around and the, and the assistant finally told the woman like, so sorry, but he's, he's terribly shy. And she kind of, she, he described her as the, you know, as a, as a photographer. So she was like, Oh, like, well, bad for him. So she kind of, you know, was, was, you know, became more outgoing to cater to the, right. the you know, the pretend overly shy photographer. I thought that was pretty clever. Also, he, he, I think he likes to do the show. I don't know if I'd be able to do that, <laughs> act that much, but uh, it worked for him. Well, I've managed to work out from, I've run a, a few um, sort of small workshops myself when it comes to people that are new to photographing people. And um, something that I, I try and get some people to understand, and I think this is a very British thing. We're very bad at emulating other personalities. We are whoever you are in England, that's all or anywhere in Britain, but whoever you are, that's who you are. And you, it's always kind of fascinating when you see a British person that's good at acting because it feels like a horse booking a holiday. It feels like a a skill that they shouldn't have because we're very set in our ways. And one of the things that did happen once on a workshop with me was um, I tend to have a little bit of a a dismissive, sarcastic sense of humor. And when you know me, you know not to be offended by it. But when that's not your normal personality and then you try and use some of that on top of your positive personality, you just sound like you're being an incredibly rude person to the person that you're photographing. And I've certainly seen that go wrong a couple of times. So I do tell people to find their own sort of wheelhouse yeah. within that. I've thrown some sarcasm out at people just like, just, just caution to the wind. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it lands. But uh, like I said, when I'm being just myself around hugely famous people, like I, like I won't hold back on those jokes that pop in my mind, but the sarcastic ones. And I throw them out there and 
you just got it's a pregnant pause. You look at them to see yeah. if they're going to get it. Yeah. You know, and you know, I haven't had anything too bad. <laughs> well, it tends to be an exercise in just finding where the boundary is, which is quite fun. If we yeah. turn more towards your visual style, like your actual body of work, I showed my wife your work just before we came on to record this. And besides the expletives that she threw out about some of the names that you photographed, one of the words that she used about 14 or 15 times was painterly. And it, I would say filmic. It feels like there's a filmic style to what you're doing. You mentioned about your beginnings working with film. How, yeah. did, how did you land where you are now with the visual style that you've got? Good question. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, you just kind of gravitate towards what, what you find pleasing. For me, uh, I really hate, um, I hate mess. Like I'm looking at my desk. It's a complete mess and I hate it. But uh, in, at least I can't control that, but I'm, in the images I can. So I think it can, all comes back to, you know, um, just how your brain works. Uh, but um, when I was switching to go straight portraiture, I mean, my all you see now on my website is portraiture. With, uh, um, and that kind of happened over time. Like when I was in Prague, Indiana, I was just in journalism and I moved to Prague and slowly worked into got myself in a magazine. I was doing portraiture, like all those silly little features in, in uh, men's and women's magazines, like what's in your handbag and you know, follow a person for a day kind of thing. Uh, but then once I started going to portraiture, I had this, you probably wouldn't like my portfolio at the time because it was kind of schizophrenic. It had a lot <laughs> of heavily attracted stuff that didn't necessarily look like me. And then some of my personal stuff that was maybe too over the top personal. And then there was, you know, what's in your handbag kind of reportage stuff for magazines. So I moved to London and I showed that around and people were just, they didn't know what they were looking at. And then I had a, a series of black and white street stuff and a separate book, which made it even worse because I had that, you know, it was just, I was all over the place, but there was the, um, the black and white stuff because it was cohesive and it was all me and it wasn't art directed at all. It was kind of loose uh, people on the street, not posed at all. That started to get some traction because it had, it looked like somebody, it looked like my work. So that, after I realized that I, I kind of, I said about making a portrait book in the same way with the Ida Hasselblad and like two lights. And I would just find people on the street that were interesting and set up a date to meet them somewhere. And then London, it was amazing. People were very receptive. New York people look at you like you're a serial killer. If you ask them if you can take a picture. <laughs> um, but I slowly built a book that was, it was like, I think 30 images altogether that I didn't, I stopped asking people for their advice because the advice was always so, you know, what they would do. And then they, at the end of their advice session, they'd always say, oh, but do what you feel right. So I, I, I stopped asking because it wasn't, you know, what I felt right wasn't what they were telling me. So I produced a book and I, then I just started shopping that one around because there's nobody else's work in there but mine. And that started getting some traction. And, and what I found that I liked just by... I mean, just, just keep banging away at it and slowly <laughs> you'll, you'll be pushed in the direction. But for me, it was just, you know, simplifying the background, making it so that it can, if, also because Ocelot Square, feeling like the, uh, if this image could be on a stamp, if it could work that small, that would be amazing because it could work at any size, I thought. Yeah. Before the, before this, I thought five by sevens were wonderful because if you can't express it in that size, you know, that's, that's kind of a tight, that's a small shot, but if you blow that up, it's going to be amazing. So, you know, just like working to, to simplicity of the of image and, you know, working with, with limited colors. Uh, so it's just very simplifying the palette. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's good going down that road. And like when, when I get a job enough to do a portrait in a messy area, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It's really, I need to find some order in that. I usually, I usually do it by the end, but uh, it's a rough day. Well, I don't often talk about gear on the podcast because it tends to, especially in the last five or six years, devolve into uh, people just arguing over completely insignificant numbers of megapixels or or what K a video feature goes to or something stupid like that. I'm much more interested in choices when it comes to things like focal length. And 
I always see the way that focal length is represented by people who generally call themselves educators on places like YouTube. Um, they talk about wide angle in terms of distortion and then uh, longer focal lengths being much more flattering when it comes to people that you're photographing. However, I tend to think of wide angle uh, in a contextual sense. When you shoot with a wide angle, you're going to draw in much more of the surroundings. So you have to be, like you've just mentioned, more aware of the mess, I guess would be one way of putting it. And also, if you want to have a portrait of someone that incorporates their environment, you're much better off going wide than just ripping them out of the scene that they're in. With your work, there is, in a few cases, it feels like, and I could be completely wrong here, um, like some some juxtaposed ways of photographing. In particular, I can think of uh, a family that are on a stoop in New York, and it's it's diptyched with a gentleman, I think with the Brooklyn Bridge in the background, but I might be wrong there. And they're shot with clearly very different lenses for very different purposes. When it comes to focal lengths, what are your favorites to go to and what makes you pick between them? Um, well, those, those two that you're talking about, that was, those are Hasselblad film, camera, uh, film, film images. Uh, but the, those were either, I think I had a 50 and the other one was, I think, like a 110. Whatever. It's been a while since I had that, the film camera lenses. But yeah, those, those are like the two. I mean, if I could have two bodies and just super glue those lenses on there, that's all I would ever need. Like right. Even with my, I use 35, a lot of stuff, and I have like Canon with, I use a 35 and an 85. And those two, I mean, if I can't do it with those two, I'm, I don't know what I can do. But uh, no, that's that's actually, you know, that's not the Brooklyn Bridge. That's, he's underneath a, um, that's just, there's just a road up there. That's part of the, uh, actually don't know what it is. That's up in Hama. It's an amazing superstructure of a bridge. Yeah. Those, those two lenses I used for most of my work. And then when I went to digital, I had a 50 millimeter and a 100, which I used almost for everything. I had an 80 that just gathered dust. Um, so yeah, those two are kind of my, my go-to things. So yeah, 35 millimeters speaking, that's like 85 and slightly wider than 35, I guess. I like that because, you know, kind of, it does give you that, that kind of whitey without too much distortion. And then that portrait one is just, you know, you can still dial in the background if you want it. And, but it just snaps your attention right to the subject. Like that, that's kind of the bridge. That's kind of an example of a message street, but at least it's, it's organized into a repetition, you know, so it kind of, and same with the, <laughs> the steps. Well, kind of to me, it's it's a very contextual photo. The two photos side by side, I think, are wonderfully contextual because it just t- tells so much about the environment that the not to be rude to the subjects, but the subjects are almost secondary to the scene. It feels like they are part of a very well dressed scene, and I'm I'm very sorry that it is quite messy. I imagine for someone that doesn't like a messy background, but I think it looks fantastic. Yeah, that's not necessarily messy. I've, I've had yeah, there's more jobs of where you're working like say in a factory or something like that. Okay. It's going to be fantastic where you got three different kinds of lighting and you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> but no, I'm glad you picked that up. Most people just want to talk about celebrities. It's good. Well, between, between those two focal lengths that you mentioned, so in the kind of 28, 30 ish millimeter on 35 mil and the 85 mil, which is more of a standard, at least these, these days are more of a standard um, focal length for portraits. Is it yeah. is it context that makes you pick between the two, or is it the features of the person? What is it that makes you really pick between the two? Uh, it depends. I mean, a lot of these portraits, uh, even the celebrities are done with a fifty with wide angles, maybe a little too close. Uh, you know, you can't get in a regular person's face with a wide angle too much. I remember that from Elle magazine. I, I was doing headshots for, but then once I. Did, I did them all with a 50 on a, uh, well, on a, a normal lens on a, on a 35. And the art director came to me and he said, you can't do this to normal people. You can only do that to models. Because <laughs> it makes them all, you know, it's a little fishy. Right. But, um, you know, it depends on how you come at them, how, how far away you are, and things like that. You know, like a lot of it's like the, the Tommy Lee Jones, that's that's with the 50 on the house block uh, digital. Uh, so, but you know, for him, you know, you're looking kind of looking up at a little bit of a hero shot. Then uh, the other lens would have been a little bit too, a little too boring for that. You know, it doesn't doesn't bring as much drama to it. But um, 
I don't know. I mean, I'll, honestly, a lot of times I'll just I'll switch back and forth and I'll just keep working it and and then the end see which one which one you know feels me more. But uh, yeah, a lot of these uh, a lot of the celebrities know better than the when you get too close and they, they can see the lens and they're gonna they're gonna know <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> you can't get too wide. I remember one time in Prague, I had to get a passport photo, and there's a little place down from the uh, the embassy that did passport photos and. I sat down and the guy put the camera there and, and that was, I looked, I read the little, read the lens and it just said, I think it said 24 millimeters or something like this. And then my face just dropped because I know like you can't do a headshot with a 24 millimeter. That's not nice to anyone. Right. And I'm sure, I'm sure every photographer has had it, had their headshot taken there. It has the same expression of like, Oh my God, yeah. here we go. <laughs> a little knowledge is a bad thing, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Your website is actually broken up. Um, you have these, you have stories and stories seems to be um, kind of a, a code word for projects, I guess. And yeah. one of them that really jumped out at me quite substantially is Obscured Liberty. Now this is images of the Statue of Liberty from different perspectives with different sort of varying degrees of things, f- framing within framing uh, the, the, the statue. And it jumped out at me because I fly to New York every year, except for when there's frustrating pandemics. I fly to New York and I spend about a week on my own as my way of getting away from people, I guess, especially in England. And I walk around photographing and I spend most of my time, I'm a terrible, terrible street photographer, a woeful street photographer. Um, but I spend most of my time photographing with the intention of doing what exactly what you've done, which is to kind of find... In, like well-known scenes, but to frame them with what's around them or to shoot through things or to just find different ways of approaching well-known spots. So what was it that started the obscure Liberty uh, story, I guess? And uh, you know, what, what does it say to you or what does it do for you? That, um, I had that idea for a while because where, where I live in Brooklyn, I'm just up and over the hill. Like if you go to the top of the hill where I live, um, there's views of the of this of the Statue of Liberty. There's like there's two of these in here that are basically kind of streets just up and over the hill. You know, if you just I, if you brought out a 300 millimeter lens, that's what you get. And I always thought it'd be cool to kind of you know sort sort navigate this thing and photograph it from every place you could uh, with you know jamming together all the filth and all the this, this example of trying to make mess less messy. But that was kind of my point. Is like you know this. I actually started this in earnest once. Once uh, Trump came in, and it was just the idea of like it's how messy this all this is. And I wanted to show this beautiful statue in context. Like you know, when you see a picture of the pyramids, you never see the city that's next to it. I've never seen it, but um, so I just wanted to include all that stuff. And uh, you know these I think these are really large for a show, and it's just beautiful because the the only focus, if you can say there's a focus, is the Statue of Liberty. And the, the problem referring to focus, these are I think I used a my 200 millimeter lens with a with a 1.4 adapter on the Canon uh, 5DS, so it's 50 megapixel, and this is pretty good crop on those. But the problem is on, on hot days, you know, all the heat rising off all that land and then there's the water. So like I had to, I had to go back several times for some of these just to get that statue in focus. Cause when you compress all that together, you get waves and there's just, there can be no, you can throw as much clarity as you want on that statue and it's not going to look right. So yeah, that was, that was a fun project. I mean, I, I need a deadline. So I did a few of them and then I was going to do the show and I just kept going on. Some of those are from the subway lines, some are from you know, different areas, but yeah, that was, I even looked into hiring a helicopter. I was, I wanted to go take a portrait, like have it hover lower, you know, low enough to take a portrait straight on, but that's apparently very illegal. <laughs> very illegal is a step up from illegal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very illegal. Yeah, yeah. So, so. To jump back a little bit here, um, you, you started in film um, when you, when you first started in photography and obviously things have moved into a digital space. And most photographers obviously now are starting digitally. It'd be really bizarre at this point for people to be starting with film, but I'm sure it does happen. 
Do you feel like starting in digital is a disadvantage or an advantage or starting in film is an advantage or a disadvantage given the sort of route that you went through? Uh, it kind of, for me, it's all comes down to choice, right? Because you have the digital, you have like a thousand more choices than you do with film. When you take a picture on film, film is going to make some of the choices, like how it's going to render color, uh, you know, if it's going to be warm or cold or whatever, if the blacks are going to fall away or still be there, or, you know, shadows, contrast, things like that. You can pull some of that back when you scan it or print it, but you're pretty much locked into a look. So in that way, it's almost like baby steps. If you learn on film, you don't have the choices of, okay, like you buy, you put throw well be in there, 50, ASA or ISO or whatever that is. And that's going to be super contrasty. It's going to have colors like, like you're using a crayon and the blacks are going to be gone. It's not going to, you're not going to pull anything out of those, of those shadows. And so those choices are going to be made by the film. Well, I guess you're making it by person that film. But um, so when you come down and print it, you're not going to tell the printer, you're not going to print yourself and say like, oh, I'm going to lighten up those blacks and shadows and I'm going to make this less contrasty because it's just not there. But same picture with a digital camera, especially a good one. You know, you start off with many, many more choices. Like you can pull up that black like crazy. You can, you can salvage too bright areas, salvage too dark areas. And then you can do all the color stuff you want to do and pull it all over the place. So I think maybe in a way, I mean, it would be beneficial to do some uh, film work, but then you'd have to learn all the darkroom stuff as well. So it's kind of a, double-edged sword. I remember listening to some David Lynch thing where he was talking about he, how he didn't like um, the newer digital cameras because they they give you too much information. You know, like the older ones that just kind of like shadows fall apart and there's nothing there and it's more mysterious. But, but for me right now, like I prefer digital because I like those choices and I, I know where I want to take them. Uh, and like, you know, like anything that David Lynch is going to shoot i'm sure he's gonna have somebody who's gonna put it right where he wants it yep so it's nice to um it's nice to have that choice and it's also nice not to have some darkroom technicians fingerprints all over my photos like they used to be <laughs> back in the film days um but yeah that's a, that's a good question i don't i don't know i know a lot of other schools are teaching film again so it's uh, i actually bought a couple of rolls it's just they're just aging my desk i guess just uh but yeah i, I it's, it's, it is nice to have that, you know, when you get your friends back, there it is. You know, it's, but then again, it's, you have somebody else printed, they've made some other choices that you maybe wouldn't have made. So I don't know. Learning either way, learning Photoshop and learning how to see things and, you know, having an idea in your head is, is the biggest thing. Well, I certainly feel like the, the cost issue with film is a big benefit actually to learning because you, you have to get it more right than not otherwise you might as well just piss money up the wall and right. when it comes to the post-processing side of things i'm someone i've gotten to the point and i don't really know how it's happened there must have been some traumatic incident that i've blacked out but i've got to the point now where i really despise being in front of a computer for hours post-processing and that was actually my reason during lockdown number one last year for me to teach myself how to develop black and white film and, and to start shooting black and white film. And it, like you said, it removes a lot of choices, which is actually perfect because I didn't want the choices because I didn't trust myself to be particularly good at making those choices. So I could trust the people that knew what they were doing, who made the film and so on to, to get it right. And I don't have to worry about it. And you feel like it's a little quicker too, in a way, because yeah. you don't have to spend any time and it's more, a little bit more raw. Yeah. Um, let's talk about a couple of other projects of yours. I guess not projects, but just a couple of lines of work that you do. Um, one thing I was kind of interested in was the quarantine portraits. So what kind of, obviously, I guess quarantine led to doing quarantine portraits, but what made you want to do that at a point when so many people such as myself were very, very demotivated? Uh, I was extremely demotivated. I was pretty miserable. But uh, I think early on before I really opened the door to no, proper depression. I, uh, I just <laughs> sent out a, I sent out an email to a couple of friends just to, just to do my initial thoughts was 
doing a, doing a series of people with the kind of 40 yard stare, you know, where they're looking through the camera, just like off in the distance. And, and then I was going to Photoshop those just something to do really. I mean, I hate not being creative, but really it's not, it's kind of painful. So I did a few of those with a, just, just iPhones. I said, just hold it out at arm's length and take a picture of you looking through the phone into some point in, in the horizon. <clears throat> and that, and then a, few, a few of those show up in that series and those are fun. But then after a while, it's like, yeah, this is kind of limiting. <laughs> I could only do so much. And then I got, you know, I asked people to use cameras and I started doing more art direction of like, you know, have them take pictures of the house because everyone had a ton of time. Well, uh, most people. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they, and also they love, like a lot of people are actors or a few of them are photographers. That's kind of, that's kind of cheating there or, uh, models, just different people I knew from various, you know, jobs, whatever. And I would send out feelers saying, would be up for this. And, uh, and I was surprised how many people were really excited to take part just, just to give them something to do. Uh, and some, some of them I had to like teach them how to work their camera or their phone and, They'd send me pictures of their apartment. Uh, we'd zoom and they're walking around and I'd talk them through it. And they'd either have somebody else take it, take a photo of them or get on a tripod and send me just all the raw files or the biggest files they could find on their iPhones. And then I would just Photoshop the hell out of it. <laughs> but I, I learned a lot about Photoshopping and I learned a lot by, I did a lot of things to other people's photos I wouldn't necessarily do to my own. You know, I've always been more traditional and purist. Yeah, uh, but some of these I just like, you know, staring at them, thinking like, how how can this be interesting in any way? And uh, you know, and dig around till <clears throat> just throw throwing things at it till they are interesting. Like there's a picture of my brother in the desert with a wearing a tie back suit, and uh, actually I had my eight year old daughter kind of check that a little bit. And I was like, I put the UFOs in, and there's a giant shadow behind him, which was kind of a it's kind of a joke. So a lot of a lot of photographers like uh, Dan Winters. Who I love, uh, I believe he throws in a shadow occasionally, but he probably just a much better photographer. He can throw a shadow in the old fashioned way. But uh, so I started throwing little shadows in to kind of give these things depth. And for the picture of my brother in the desert, like I made the shadow ridiculously large. So it's bigger than he is and it's floating in the air like shadows don't. And then I asked my daughter what, what it needs. And she's like, how about a tiger? And that was <laughs> when the Joey exotic or whatever the guy, I don't know if they, I don't know if he was in England. Yeah, yeah, we 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 were we were blessed with his presence. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. You know, <laughs> we we gave you Jerry Springer for a while, but you gave us uh, that Simon guy. So you know, all's fair. What's his nose? Uh, the guy in America's Got Talent. I forget his name. Oh, Simon Cowell. Exactly. Yeah. You know, thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> you can keep him. <laughs> I wish you had kept Rupert Murdoch. That'd be good. Oh, he's Australian. He's not our problem. Although he does run this country, he's not. He's not English. I know, I know. But but he was so made sure he didn't leave. <laughs> um, yeah, but those were fun. It was just it was random, you know, just dealing with different people with different experience of photography. And some people knew some things. Some people knew a lot. Some people knew nothing at all. Some people were just you know threw me just here you go. Here's two photos. Work with these. Uh, but it was it was a lot of fun and. I think, you know, all of them, except for maybe a few, <laughs> said they really enjoyed it. It's a fun, fun project. And another project of yours, um, I mean, it's not a project of yours, but it's certainly a project that you contributed to and contributed to in a huge way, uh, is the book by Shane, I'm going to say Burkhor. I always feel like America, yeah. I'm going to get it wrong when it's an American name, I always feel like, but uh, it, the book is entitled Not So Different. Uh, what you really want to ask about having a disability? Um, what was that project like? How did you how did you join up on that project, and and what was it like to shoot? Uh, he's a great guy, very very funny. He um, was with the publisher uh, Roaring Brook Press, which is a pretty, pretty big publisher here. Uh, they published his memoir, which is called um, "Laughing at My Nightmare." Uh, a few number a few a few years back, and it was just his experience. He's got severe muscular dystrophy, and he's in a wheelchair since since he was little, like his, his legs never fully developed so he could walk. Uh, but he's just got an amazing sense of humor and, and explains stuff. And and uh, I met him because they hired me to take his portrait uh, for the cover of the first book, which is 
it was really, I just, I, I love doing books. It's just, it's, it's so great to work with, with the, the creative side of that. But uh, we got along really well and he was, did an amazing job. And then he wanted to do a children's book to explain, you know, his wheelchair and how his life is and everything. Cause he goes around to schools and he gives talks and he runs a foundation. So that was kind of a bit of a challenge cause he really can't, he can only move his like hand, hands a little bit. And his, um, but luckily he can do an amazing amount of facial, facial work, you know, expressions and stuff. Uh, so yeah, they called me up to see if I wanted to, to join them on that. And that was, it's just, it was wonderful. It's just two days of, uh, you know, everything is art directed and we knew what we needed. And a lot of it was, um, slightly Monty Python-ish, uh, illustration thrown in there. Mm-hmm. So I would, I, I would just photograph him on a, on a gray background and they were going to swap out the, the background. And, you know, one time we put him in the grass for the soccer, soccer photo, but he was just it was amazing amount of energy. And, as a two day shoot for the whole book, but we got it, we got it done. It was, it was fantastic. That won an award and stuff. It was really kind of nice. Um, I'm hoping he does another one. So, but he's in Minnesota now he's married. Well, it's, it's an interesting thing that I brought up on, on my previous podcast. And it's come up a few times over the span of 159 episodes is personal work for people that work as professional photographers. And something that's quite interesting about yourself, obviously, is you've mentioned on a few different occasions here, different facets of personal work or projects that you took on yourself. A lot of people, especially in this day and age, I, I'm honestly growing more and more weary of this entire population that we have on earth now because of the social media side of things and the constant strive for attention and everyone's their own celebrity and so on. But, but as someone that actually photographs actual celebrities and, and people that are actually within an industry that everyone seems to be clamoring to get into, how, how do you find the drive and, and the, the time, I guess, to do personal work? And how important is personal work in terms of your own growth as a, as a photographer? Uh, I think it's, you can't, it can't be understated how important it is. I mean, if you, I think I said earlier about how you, I, how I personally kind of follow what works. I tend to, you know, go where the work is that's coming to me. And a lot of times that's, that's more financially driven. Like I, you know, I like to eat and have a place to live. Um, so I do the work, but a lot of that work can get a little dry. And, you know, for me, I tend to be a little corporate and which I enjoy the work and it pays well and I can afford to live, but it's not as creative as I, as I always want it to be. And if you're trying to get more advertising work and more creative work, then you don't have as much to show in that way. Yep. And also the personal work, you can really concentrate on where you want to go. Like what's, what's important uh, the look you, you want to have, that's all about you. I, this goes back to that London experience, right? I just wanted to, I wanted people to hire me because they wanted Matt Carr, not because, you know, they just need a, a photo of somebody and it doesn't really matter what it looks like. I wanted to be a little bit more specific, but my, my work and and be, be wanted for that. Uh, and especially in a big market like New York or London, you kind of have to specialize a little bit. Like if I came out there and I said, I do 12 things, people wouldn't take me seriously. Well, if I went back to Indiana, I would probably have to do those 12 things and, you know, I, would, I could show it out be, be fine, but I don't really want to do those 12 things. I want to do the one thing. Right. So for me, I always go back and just, you know, it goes back it's kind of like steering a ship, you know, like it's a big boat and it's moving. So if I find myself, my work getting a little too dry and not exactly as creative as I want, you know, I need to throw in some very creative stuff and throw in the boat a little bit and show that around and show people like, look, this is, this is what I can do too. You know, like um, if you look in the stories, like it's not funny. It's totally, totally my own stuff just to, show the advertising world that here's some, some ridiculously polished joke photographs and, you know, a lot of these portraits, if my, if my website portfolio is not, you know, half personal work, I think there's something wrong with it. It's certainly interesting to have that high of a number in terms of percentage from professional to personal work um, that you'd want visible. Um, I've often heard people say that your portfolio is your shop window and 
what you put in it is the direction you end up going in. And if you don't show people what you can do, you end up doing what they want. So it's certainly interesting to hear that again, especially from someone such as yourself. I really feel bad about asking this. Is the, this is the last question and I promise I'll let you go. Um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the time that you've given up here. Um, and I feel really bad about asking this particular question because you mentioned about how people only ever want to know about the celebrities. And I, I didn't want to end on one after you said that, but I'm going to, um, because otherwise my wife will kill me if I don't ask this question at least. So I've already mentioned the, the image of Tommy Lee Jones, which is uh, just one of my favorite images I've ever seen. Um, you photographed Keanu Reeves, Jeff Goldblum, Woody Harrelson, Roseman Pike, Willem Dafoe, Bill Murray. I'm only mentioning people who really mean a lot to me. There's, there's a ton more. You mentioned Ethan Hawke, fantastic actor. I don't actor. know which one, was, which one was most high. <laughs> um, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm far too polite to ask that question. Um, I, don't, I don't think he knew I was in the room with him. All right. <laughs> my my last question for you is just: Is there anyone that you haven't photographed that is is very high up or at the top of your wish list? Oh my God, uh, Tom Waits, of course, but that that'd be hard. I mean, it, it's so much pressure. You know, it would, it's like it's like a photographer, black and white photographer going to Paris. Like a lot of a lot of pressure to come away with something good. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, just in terms of meeting somebody, I love to meet Tom Waits. Uh, <laughs> and see, actor wise, I don't know. All those, I mean, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might not have helped. That might not have helped. Yeah. I love, well, that's, what, that's what he called those scoopies for a while there. But when they, that's what they called themselves, Cumberbatches. But then he, he said, that's not cool. <laughs> but um, like, he's amazing. Like, of course, the Sherlock stuff. Yeah. Like I said, it's all, it's all the detective. Oh, David Suchet, the guy who played Poirot. Yeah. This is, a, this is really making me out to be a nerd. But when I, I lived in London, I approached those people and I, I asked if I could have some time with them to do some portraits in some hotel. And they were into it, but he was in, he was in LA for like a year or something. I never got around to doing, doing that photo. He has his own photo book. He actually does photography. Yeah, actually, my wife got that appointment for Christmas. I used to like a guy. Uh, but like your Darren Brown, I, I did the same thing. I contacted him back in 2000. Too, I want to say mm -hmm. super nice guy. And he like invited me up. He said, sure, come by whatever this Thursday. And I didn't realize he lived like two and a half hours away from London at that time. So like I, I rented all this gear and I got on a train by myself and I went to his house. <laughs> Just way too much gear in the house about film cameras. And he spent the day with him. He was really like super great and gracious and took me out to dinner. <laughs> Slept back on the train. <laughs> But uh, people like that, it's like, you know, I just love collaborating with really fascinating people like that. But yeah, I can't, aside from those, I'm sure when we close up, I'll, I'll think of five more. But. That's always the way, right? Someone asks you a question and when it's important, you can't remember any names and then all of a sudden you remember all of them. Everyone from the Big Lebowski, of course, so like, uh, I did about half of them so far. Yeah, and he's, he's sure he's got nothing going on because everyone's still waiting for this this nonsense to end. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I really, really, really do. Most important thing, and the only reason I do the podcast is to force other people to like things that I like. So uh, we need to tell them where they can go to find your work. So website, Instagram, and so on. Where's the best place for people to find you? Well, the website is just my name, mattcar.com. And the Instagram is uh, the mattcar. Um, the mattcar, because I don't know who has Matt car somebody matt car yes matt car exactly <laughs> there's, a, there's a book illustrator matt car in england it's fantastic he writes these uh, children's books of layers there's just too many people called matt car that's the trouble yeah i need to go around. i want to do a series of just go around photographing all the matt cars well there was a tv show in england years ago and it was i can't remember the guy's name I'm sure his first name was dave because everyone in england's called dave um, and he found every person he could on the planet that had the same name as him. And he tried to get them all to meet up. And I know that you just had the the Joshes fight over in America. So um, I, I'm lucky. I'll never find someone that has the same name as me. So I don't have to worry about that. But again, but again massive thank you for taking the time to do this. I can't tell you how much it means. And um, yeah, you have a great week. Well, thank you very much. It's fun.